Well, our theme for the last few weeks has been finding home. And as we've dove into the story of the Luke 15 and the loving father and his two sons, and uh, we've been hearing some stories, some testimonies from people who have found their way back home. Um, maybe it was just a little bit away and some a long way. And so we've just been letting people tell their story. And this morning I asked Mike if he would hear, share his story about finding home. Thank you. So I remember going to school and one of the first days I was first in sociology class, my sociology professor said, I want you to all know that there are three things that make us who we are. I was kind of intrigued and he said, uh, the first thing that makes us who we are is our genetics, what God knit together for us. The second thing is the unique experiences, things that happen in life that happen to only us. And the third thing is our shared or our group experience. Those would be things like lately for us would be a COVID, right? Like we all went through COVID together. So when Bob asked me if I would um, share a few words about kind of my unique story, my unique journey, I told him no. He did. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we don't need to go into the details on that, but he said, uh, you know, think about it, pray about it. So here I am. <clears throat> so I, I started a week or so ago kind of writing down and putting my thoughts together of what I was going to say to you on Sunday morning. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I could tell you the story about how I grew up in a family and we went to church twice on Sundays and Sunday school after church and Wednesday was devoted to catechism. And I could tell you about how I left that church and how for many years I lived apart from church, I lived apart from God, I lived kind of a prodigal son life. Uh, I like to think of it as I was this hungry sinner at the buffet table of sin, this hungry beggar at the buffet table of sin. And I was living life for myself and far from God. And I thought, yeah, I could tell him that story. And it's true. Um, but I think we've heard a lot of that story. I think there's some of that story in each one of us. And I was at a seminar a few weeks ago, and one of the learnings there was, look, when you have a presentation to give or you're teaching something, you need to ask yourself, so what? Right? Like, you're investing time here, whether you want to or not. You're investing time listening to me. But me as a leader and a speaker, we need to ask the question, so what? So while all those things are true, and I lived that life apart from Christ, and God brought me back here, uh, really through the funeral services that we had to prepare for my parents, who were members here, uh, got in contact with some of the pastors here, and it was really through Tom Boss that I heard God's voice telling me, you need to stop running. You need to give this life up. You need to come back and be invested in me and let me invest in you. So that is my story. But then I get to the so what part, right? Like <clears throat> we have people come up and glory to God, tell that story pretty often. But I got hung up on the so what part. So kind of the things that I want to share is that so what part is <clears throat> I look around and I see we still have prodigals, right? Our sons, our daughters, men, women, they're old prodigals, they're young prodigals. I think Bob mentioned this last week, and I think it was a call to, to just stop. 
right? Like God put that call in my life, and I think he's putting that call in your life. So I think, I think we need to just stop. I think we need to stop running from God. I think sometimes some of these stories of I was lost, I was found, thanks be to God through his grace and mercy, I'm back in a relationship with him, they almost sound fairy tale. They almost sound like, well, that's okay to do. And I'm just here to caution you that it's not okay to do. There are serious consequences of living that lifestyle. There's damage that gets done. There's no free lunch out there. So it's kind of a heavy statement. I'm going to tell you, yeah, stop. I did damage to me. I did damage to those I love. There were consequences of that. There, there was damage done to people I don't even know. So please, when God's giving you that tap on their shoulder, when the Spirit's giving you that nudge, listen. Stop running. Stop that damage. I know from talking to many of you and hearing many of your stories, and I heard it again this morning, I know that there's a lot of us living out in our daily lives, living in guilt and shame. I, I heard it again this morning, and I just want to tell you to, to pack that guilt and shame up as best as you can and put it in a trash bag and throw it at the foot of the cross. That Amen. guilt and shame is not from God. That's from the enemy. And if you can't offload that yourself, pray about it, talk to people about it. I, I don't know how much help I can be, but I will tell you that I don't live in that guilt and shame anymore. And it Amen. was funny as I was going through some of this preparation Satan was right over here on my shoulder. Guilt and shame again. Guilt and shame. Mike, you can't tell that story. You're not going to. No, you can't do that. And thank God I was able to say, not today, Satan. We've done that battle. I'm done with that. Amen. <clears throat> Praise be to God. But if you're living with guilt and shame, and I think there are many of us who are, please offload that. Talk to the pastors here, whoever. Get rid of that. You're not fully enjoying the fruits of the gift that God gave to us if you're still struggling with guilt and shame. So for those of us who kind of maybe are not on the prodigal side of things, right? Maybe you're, yeah, good story, Mike, nice. You know, I, I haven't lived that life. I, I appreciate the fact that God brought you back home. But now we're getting to kind of our shared experience, right? We had our genetics, our unique experience, our group experience. Well, the truth is of our shared experience that Christ died on the cross for all of us. So <clears throat> as I had to unpack kind of my life and look in the rearview mirror, I'm going to encourage every one of you to do that this week, today. It's okay with me if you do it during Bob's message today. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care. That's all good. But I, I encourage you to really take the time, reflect on who you are, the journey that God's taken you through and where you are today, and I think that will do some amazing things individually and collectively. So what are those amazing things? Here's the so what part for those of us who don't consider ourselves and maybe have never been far from God. I think if we did that and we honestly looked at that and we peeled back the layers of who we are and what God's done in our lives, I think this, this place for us individually and collectively would be a place of joy. I think we would have joy, boundless joy in this place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm gonna encourage you to do that. I think as an outpouring of that joy, 
that we'd probably make a difference in our giving. I've been involved with budgets over the last number of years, and I can tell you every time at the end of the year we come back to, wow, we made it by the skin of our teeth again. So what can we do without next year? Because we really, I don't even know if we can keep our budget where it was. Where can we cut? Where can we go back? Where can we do this? Yes, we have wants and we have needs, and we could probably do mission better with more resources. I think that conversation would change to one of God. <clears throat> what would you have us do with this bounty of riches that you have given us? Where would you have us spend this time and these resources? I think... If we did that survey and we took, we took that uh, look in the mirror, I think it would change what we do here Sunday mornings in worship. I think if we really came in and did a, a self-inventory and reoriented ourselves on who God is and who we are, I think we'd be standing up, dancing in the aisles with our hands held high, singing hallelujah and amen, and we would have tears of joy running down our cheeks. Now, I know I just made a lot of you very uncomfortable. Amen. <laughs> so I'm going to walk that back a little, and I'm going to say maybe on the way to getting there, maybe we could come into worship with our hearts focused on God and what he's done in our lives. There was a time a few years ago when I heard kind of a strategy that the worship team, the praise and worship team was putting together that said, look, when we start praise and worship, we're going to start out with a nice slow song. We're going to have something real soft. We're, we're going to kind of have a warm-up song, right? Like people are still out in the narthex and they're still having coffee and Maybe it was a tough Saturday night, right? Like, we don't want to come blasting in with this loud music. People's heads might be hurting. So we're going to have this long runway into worship. And I, and I, and I remember thinking, really? I wonder what God would think about that. So I think if we did that analysis, if we did that kind of reoriented, I think we would come in with hearts full of praise and worship and earnest worship in our lives. So I'm encouraging that too. And I think lastly, if we did that inventory, if we looked at our lives, if we saw what God did, I think our mission here that is God's mission at Orchard Hill Church, I think our mission, we would have so much more passion for being missionary people. We would have an urgency that wouldn't let us walk out of this place today unchanged. So as much as I know Bob asked me to speak about my story and my time away from God, yes, I did that. I confess that. Uh, and it was not a pretty time. But um, I just kind of want to end with one of the songs that I wrote down because there's so many good songs around now. But it's from Micah Tyler. It says, when I was a prodigal, you saw a son. And when I left the 99, you saw the one. I would encourage each of us here to kind of do that review, that mental reset, and um, raise the level of what we do here at Orchard Hill Church. And I thank you for your time today. We are so grateful you listened to the Holy Spirit and said yes. And 
uh, for your words this morning that you had to share with us, and we take them to heart. If we can open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 15, this is our, our last week that we're going to be looking at this, this passage here in Luke chapter 15. Some of you may remember this past summer, the story of uh, eight-year-old Nante Niemi. Nante Niemi was a little boy, he's eight years old, he was camping with his family up in the um, Porcupine Mountains Wilderness State Park. He went off to look for some firewood and he never came back to his family's campground. He was lost. Uh, naturally, his parents panicked, right? Wouldn't you panic? They loved their son, and like, we got to find him. And so 150 rescue workers were mobilized, and they began to search an area over 40 square miles looking for him, day and night, trying to find, uh, see where Nante would be. And the good news of the story is that after two days, he was found safe and sound and he was rescued and the principal of the school that he attends uh, tells the story that when they announced over the intercom that Nante was found that every classroom just erupted in a cheer of joy like a winning score at the end of a football game the entire building just erupted because Nante who was lost was now found and I think that story does tie in exactly with what Jesus has been talking to us about that in this these stories that he's been telling us that we do have to be people who set our hearts on the mission of seeking those who are lost and when they are lost and they return back home to God we are filled with that incredible joy that Mike, Mike was just talking to us about and that's exactly where Jesus was aiming. While we have talked in the, in the, as we've wrestled with this story, we've mainly focused on the, the loving father and, and where we fit in that and uh, that the father does have the open arms so that we can return to him, which is all beautiful, that maybe we find ourselves in that story. And many of you have, that I've been the prodigal, I've been away from God, I, I've, I've been that one who's been self-righteous and and uh, I need to return to God today. And we focused on that the last two weeks. And I hope that that's been meaningful for you. But as we wrap up the story today, I want to go to the very beginning where Jesus uh, starts to tell the story. And look at the context for this story because I think that has the implications of what Jesus was trying to communicate through that story. And so we're going to look at that together this morning going back to Luke 15, we're going to look at chapters one or verses one uh, and two in Luke 15, one and two. It starts with these words: Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Let me stop there a minute. We got two groups of people, right? We got the tax collectors, we got the sinners. May not resonate as much in our minds, but in the listeners in the first day, they knew exactly what they meant. These were people who were vile. These were people who were unclean. 
These were pagan people. These were people we needed to stay away from. The tax collectors, they were Jewish people who had turned their back on the other Jewish nation, and they went to work for Rome, and they were collecting taxes, and often they would squeeze more money out of their own, out of their own family, the Jews, and they would charge more than they should. And uh, they were living high and large off the backs of the rest of the Jews, and so they were hated. They were despised. And to be honest, the only people that really applied for these jobs were pretty much those who had low moral values. And the tax collectors are there, as well as the sinners. These are not notorious sinners, or like the biggest sinners, whatever those would be in the day. These are just run-of-the-mill sinners. These are those who in that day were not following the law of God. And by not following the law of God, that meant that you were on the outside. You weren't on the inside. You were on the outside because you weren't doing the things that God said you needed to do to make you holy and acceptable to him. And so again, they are very unclean. And they are ones that if you spend any time with, you too may become defiled and unclean. And so the sinners and tax collectors, are, it says here, were all gathered, gathering around Jesus. Greek word is agizo, coming close, pressing in, drawing near. So we got, we got all these filthy sinners, all these disgusting, revolting people who are not loved in any way by God, who are walking outside of God. And what are they doing? They're pressing in and drawing near to Jesus, these tax collectors and, and, and sinners. And they're drawing near to Jesus to hear Jesus. To hear Jesus. Look at 14. The last verse in 14, verse 34, right at the very end, Jesus has been teaching for a while now. There is a lot of red letters going ahead of this. He's been teaching. At the very end, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let, him hear. let them hear. And this is, uh, this is said in a present imperative, which means keep on hearing, keep on listening. You know what? I've taught you a lot of things. I got more goodness to teach you. I got more truths about God's kingdom to tell you. I got more things that, that you can learn from me. So whoever has ears, come on. Come with me and let's keep hearing. And who are the only ones that gathered around to hear Jesus? The tax collectors and sinners. But they're hearing what Jesus had to teach on that day. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We got two other groups of people. We got, the, we got the Pharisees and we got the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were, if you will, the um, layman's fellowship in the synagogue. These were lay people, all right, who, who followed God to the nth degree. They saw that the way they were devout, they loved God, and they loved God's word, and the way that you show that love for God is you obeyed every dot and tittle of God's word. In fact, we're going to create some boundaries around God's word so that we don't even 
come close to, to uh, violating God's word. Their hearts, I think, they were trying to do the right thing, but that's how they looked at it. And so anybody who was not doing the right thing was on the outside for the Pharisees. It was very much, you're in or you're out. Those who obey are in, those who don't are out. We have the Pharisees and we have the teachers of the law. In Greek, the word is grammatos, which comes from the word grapho, which means to write, like graphite, to write. These were the scribes, other versions say scribes. These are the scholars, these are the teachers, these are the people of theology who know God's law inside and out. And so this is the religious establishment of the day that is, get, that is here. They're seeing what Jesus is doing. They're seeing that all these sinners are gathering around Jesus. How could they? They're so impure, they're so unclean. Ugh, how could they? So it says they muttered. Other versions may say grumbled. Grumbled. I love that word muttered. It sounds exactly like what it is, right? Muttering. Muttering. Just I'm not really all happy with that. I don't know what they're doing that for. And in the Greek, that word is at the very front end of the sentence. Because that's what they're doing. That's what they're, that's what they're leading with. It's grumbled muttered did the Pharisees and tax collectors. That's what they had to do when they saw this was going on, that Jesus was there. He's surrounded by, he's sitting in the middle of the sea of, of sinners. It's like, what is he doing? I mean, he's grumbling. I don't understand what he's doing. And they just didn't stop. They kept going. They muttered and they grumbled. And they said, this man, notice how they refer to Jesus, he's the teacher, he's the rabbi, but this is very derogatory, this is them coming after him. They said, this man, with contempt, this man, yuck, yuck, this man right here, what is he doing? He has a problem. He welcomes sinners. How could he do that? His arms are open wide for all of those who are the tax collectors, the sinners. His arms are open wide. He's embracing them. He's okay with them coming near him. He's okay with them being in his presence. Doesn't he know that they're unclean? Doesn't he know that he's the teacher of the law and they're not the teacher of the law? How could he welcome them? But his arms are wide open. He's welcoming them. Oh my goodness. He's welcoming them. And if that's not bad enough, good heavens, he eats with them. He's eating with them. He's eating with the sinners and tax collectors. And in the Eastern culture, to eat not only meant that you welcomed, it meant that you accepted. You accepted them. Table fellowship was at the top of the list. Who I ate with at the table meant that we accepted them, which meant that I loved them, which meant that they are part of who I am, that they have value, and they are in my circle. And what happens? Well, you see what Jesus is doing. He's welcoming the sinners and tax collectors, and he eats with them, and they're, they're grumbling and they're muttering, because how can he do the what's going on? How can he sit there and he listen? 
This is, well, it's beyond everything we can understand. He's making himself unclean. And a rabbi would never do that. Don't listen to his teachings because he doesn't know what he's talking about. You've got to stay away from it. You see what's going on here in the story? They're muttering and they're grumbling because of what Jesus is doing. And it says, then Jesus told them this parable. That's the context. He told them this parable. And notice what we get here is that we get three stories back to back but in Luke's mind, this is one parable. Because notice, you know, in those days they didn't have chapter divisions. Because notice at verse 8, it says, or. This is still continuing. He told them this parable, and it goes, or. It's still continuing. And then notice what it says in verse 11. Jesus continued. This is one large teaching, one large parable to address the situation of the muttering and grumbling of the Pharisees and tax collectors because Jesus is eating and welcoming sinners. And Jesus tells them these stories. It's almost like, I'm going to tell you. You guys are grumbling? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you it's like this. You didn't get that? Let me tell you again. It's like this. You guys still didn't get it through your skull? Let me tell you one more time. So it seems to me if Jesus is trying to make this point three times to drill it in, ugh, we better pay attention to what Jesus has to say here. And what I see as Jesus tells this story are three important traits of Christ's followers. Three important traits of Christ's followers. The first one is this, that we need to love lost people. We need to love lost people. The posture of the Pharisees, and the, who then Jesus put into the story in the, as the older brother in the prodigal son, was to look down on and distance themselves from those who were lost and away from the Father, from those who were sinners, from those who were tax collectors. Their leading impulse for those people was contempt, while Jesus' leading impulse was compassion. Jesus is with them precisely because they are lost, because they matter to God. The lost, the one lost sheep, it matters. The one lost coin, it matters. The, the two lost son, they matter. And Jesus is saying, lost people matter to me. I, I love them. I love them. In 1988, I had the opportunity to go on a peace mission trip to the Soviet Union. In 1980, I just if you're going to connect the dots, I went there on a peace mission trip with the Network of Biblical Storytellers in 1988, 1989, all of communism fell. Just, just connecting the dots there for you, all right? <laughs> just connecting the dots. But I went with a network of biblical storytellers on a trip to the Soviet Union. One of the places we got to visit, visit was the Hermitage, which is their national gallery. And in their national gallery there, they have the original painting by Rembrandt of the prodigal son in there. And I was able to see this uh, painting. But imagine in this painting now, I mean, it's worth millions of millions of dollars. But imagine I'm walking around the backside of the hermitage, uh, and there in the dumpster, I see this painting that's covered with mud, 
and it's maybe got it's a little tattered on the corner, maybe some tears, and uh, it's been discarded, and there it is. But I look in the dumpster, and I see, and I look at it, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think this is Rembrandt's prodigal son. I don't think I would just stroll by and leave that in the dumpster. I think any of us, if we would recognize what that painting was, we wouldn't say, well, it's just mud. It's just filth. It's just garbage. It should just be discarded. We would pull it out because we know the value. And we would say, this thing needs to be restored. This thing needs to be brought back to what it was meant to be. And see, I think that's exactly how Jesus looked at people. He looked through the sin. He looked through the dirt. He looked through maybe the rule breaking. And underneath he could see the beautiful masterpiece that God created just a few people to be. No, all people to be. Everybody who was gathered around his table with him there. Every sinner and tax collector was created by God. And Jesus knew that he had come into the world to save all people. And that's how much God loved them. And and so Jesus saw them as masterpieces. And I think we need to do that too. If that's the way that Jesus looked at people, then we who are Christ followers, it makes sense, we would look at people that way right we're his ambassadors in this world so we need to look at all people and not just see the mud so i think this is one of the signs of spiritual maturity do we look at people with the eyes that jesus looks and do we see their value in spite of what we would Maybe look down on as their sin. Maybe look down on as their brokenness. Maybe look down on as their lostness. Do we see the value in them? Do we see the value in that panhandler? Do we see that, that, the value in oh, that coworker? You know who I'm talking about. Your filthy mouth neighbor. Do we see the value in them? Do we see the value in the person waving the rainbow flag and assailing our family rights? Do we see the value in those people? Because all people matter to God. All people, wherever they're walking, whoever they are, whatever race, whatever nationality, whatever country they live in, whatever city, whatever town, all people matter to God. For God so loved the world he gave gave, and he god gave to this world do you see them do you see them in the way that jesus sees them we're told in mark 6 34 jesus was out in the boat again and he's coming to shore and it says when jesus landed on on shore he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd there's that word compassion again we talked about last week explain xenomai right from here oh from my gut i see them and they're sheep without a shepherd so am i grumbling and muttering what are all these people doing here look at these people i just want to be alone how come all these people are coming out to the sore how come they're all bothering me they're sinners i gotta stay away i got important things to do i gotta teach the word of god why alone are all these people here and jesus says I see them, and they're sheep 
without a shepherd. That's what I see. They're masterpieces covered in mud. That's what I see. And Jesus was moved with his innards, with love for people. Is that your heart? Is that your stomach? Or do you find yourself in the position of Pharisees and tax collectors where you're revolted? Because Jesus' eyes were eyes of love. And not only did Jesus love lost people, Jesus tells us in the stories that we need to seek lost people. We need to seek lost people. On a day down the line in Luke 19, Jesus is having another day where he gets together with a tax collector. This is Zacchaeus. He's coming down the road. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Oh, stay away from that man. That's Zacchaeus. He's head of the tax collector. You don't want anything to do with him, Jesus. He's a sinner. And Jesus looks up and he says, come down. Because I'm going to your house today. What? He's going to his house. How could he go to his house? He's going to eat with him? How could you accept Zacchaeus, mutter? And that's what exactly what it says in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why does Jesus keep on doing that? People are getting angry with him. And they're muttering. And what does Jesus say in 1910? Jesus says... For the Son of Man came, this is why I came into the world, to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. Zacchaeus, I came here to seek him. The sinners and tax collectors, I came here for them. And earlier in Luke chapter 5, he's eating again with sinners and tax collectors. And what do the people do? They're muttering again. And Jesus is like, come on, guys. It's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And that's why I'm here, to bring the good news, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring restoration to those who need it because they're like sheep without a shepherd. I'm here to point them the way. And Jesus says, that's what I'm here to do. And so Jesus says, I'm going to seek. And so he seeks out Zacchaeus. He seeks out the sinners and tax collectors. Seek is an active word, and we see that in all these stories to seek the lost coin, I'm going, I'm going, I got to do something. I got to sweep, I got to look, I got to find it. To find the sheep, I got to get out there, and I got to go through the field. Seek is an active word. And we all do this, don't we, when we lose something valuable? We go out and we seek and we look and we put the energy in. I remember a number of years ago when my grandmother was still alive. We went to go visit my grandma on that day and knock on the door. Hi, Grandma, how are you today? Well, she was in a tizzy, right? That, I mean, that's not unusual. But, um, but today, it was, it was for a different reason. It wasn't about the food in the cafeteria. It wasn't about doctor's treatments or anything like that. Today, she's like, I'm not doing well. Well, why not? I lost, I lost my wedding band. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that was important to her. It was valuable. I lost your wedding band. And then, of course, right, I asked the dumb question, which we always do. Well, where'd you lose it? Don't you hate that when people do that to you? Like, if I knew where I lost it, it wouldn't be lost. Which was kind of my grandmother's response. Uh, so we're like, all right, Grandma, tell you what. Let's, let's retrace your steps. So now Amy and I gave up our collegial visit, and we are now on a mission to seek and find my grandmother's ring. Grandma, what did you do the last time you had your ring? Well, I, I went in the bathroom. 
all right, so Amy and I go in the bathroom and we conduct the exhaustive search of the bathroom and yeah, we, didn't, we, didn't find, we didn't find the ring in the bathroom and like, where else did you go? Well, I, I made some, got some goodies for myself out of my little jar up there on the counter. Okay, well, we didn't find it there anywhere. We looked everywhere. We were looking and looking and looking for my grandmother's ring. And then we saw my grandma, because she was sitting right watching TV. We saw my grandma do what she often did when she was watching TV. She picked up a box of fiddle faddle. You know what that is? Like caramel corn. <laughs> and she started eating the caramel corn. I'm like, do you do that regularly, Grandma? Yeah. So we emptied out the whole box of fiddle faddle, and there in the bottom of the box was her ring. <laughs> While she was enjoying TV, her ring had fallen off in the bottom of the fiddle faddle. And that's when we found Grandma's ring, and we, had a, we were overjoyed, right? Because we found her ring. But, but that energy we put in, we search for things that are valuable to us. We do. We go look. How many times do I see people driving down my neighborhood? Have you seen my dog? Here's a picture of my dog. Help me find my dog. And it's on Facebook. Where's my dog? We look for things that are valuable. That's seeking. That's looking. And Jesus says, you know what you need to do? You need to put your effort in seeking lost people. Why? Because they're valuable. If we see them as valuable and they're lost... Our impulse will be, because we love them and know their law, we're going to seek them. We're going to move in their direction, not away from them. We're going to move towards them. And you see that in Jesus' life. There was a, there was a story that's told in uh, Mark, I believe it is, Mark chapter 5, where Jesus gathers his disciples and it says, they went across the lake. They went across the lake. They lived in Capernaum. And they went all the way across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, which is the Decapolis, which is where, that's the Greek area, that's where pagans live, that's where sinners live. And Jesus got in the boat, he went all the way over there with his disciples. We left, we left our Jewish enclave where it's God and holiness, and we got in our boat and we went across the lake to the Gerasenes. Why? Because there was a man who had been demon-possessed living in the tombs. And Jesus goes across in the boat, seeking this lost man, this man that nobody wanted anything to do with, that the world could not contain in any way, shape, or form, that everybody was scared of, and Jesus went to him, gave up time to go across the lake to this man where Jesus healed him. And then the man said, hey, you know what, Jesus? Let me follow you now. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You go back to your own people. And it says that the man shared the good news with all of the Decapolis because Jesus knew there was lost people there and he wanted to bring the good news and he put forth the effort. And so our question is, do we put forth that same effort, that same priority? How much of our schedules, right? Because schedules show our value, what we value. How much of our schedules have been spent seeking lost people? rubbing shoulders with those who are far from God, investing in the life of those who are unclean, who aren't like us, who aren't in the house with us. How much of our time are we spending seeking lost people? And again, as Jesus' ambassadors, we not only love lost people, we then as we follow in his footsteps where he said, come with me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But then we go seek lost people. 
And the last thing that I want to say about this is really what Mike hit on this morning is that we want to rejoice for found people. Rejoice for found people. To set this up, Jesus really pulled a quick one on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because he set up a couple of hypothetical questions, didn't he, to them. He's like, well, let's, uh, all right, you mutterers and grumblers, let's just imagine that, uh, let's imagine that uh, one of you lost a sheep. Uh, Would you go find that sheep? Would you go look for the sheep? Yes, we'd go look for the sheep. And when you got home, uh, they rejoiced. Would you rejoice? Yes, we'd rejoice. Yes, of course we would. That makes perfect sense. What if one of you lost a coin? Well, yeah, I'm going to look for the coin. That's valuable. And when you find the coin, what are you going to do? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to be happy. Well, what if there's lost people? Ooh, do you see the setup? What if there's lost people? Should we not? Should we not be as happy, joyful, over finding a lost person as we would a sheep or a coin? He sets them up and pulls them in. Jesus says, joy needs to be at the source of finding lost people. If they matter to us and we go seek them, then when they are found and they come home, oh my goodness, we're going to celebrate. That's going to be my deepest sense of joy. And that's exactly what they did in the story. The, it says the father in Luke 15. When the, the son came home, the father said, let's kill the fatted calf. It's a time of famine. We're going to celebrate. A calf would feed the whole town. Let's celebrate. Because this son of mine was lost and found, was dead and now alive. We're going to have a party because we found him who was lost. Nothing better is going on today than that. And we are told in Luke 15 that it says here in Luke 15 uh, verse 10 I tell you in the presence of the angels there in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents do you see how important that is to God When one sinner repents, I mean, think about this. The angels, who are they? The angels of God, right? These are the angels of God. So what are the angels of God doing during the day? They're, most of the day, they're praising God. They're angels of God, right? They're right before the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. They're worshiping God. Could there be anything higher value than that? Holy, holy, holy. I'm worshiping God. And we're holy, holy, holy. But there's one thing that makes them stop. When somebody repents, imagine that. Holy, holy, holy. Wait, this just in. Somebody repented down on earth. Stop everybody. What's the one thing that can stop everybody? All the angels from their worship of God. When one sinner repents and then they turn around, they're like, yeah, angel party. Woohoo! In an angel party, God, we glorify you because somebody's come back home. God, we're grateful for your mercy and your grace and your love that you didn't just see them as sinners and leave them alone, but you sent your son into the world to save them. And God, you redeemed them and you brought hope and you restored and they're no longer broken. Yes, angel party, God. Angel one sinner repented. Now let's worship God some more. Holy, 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 holy. Oh, this just in. Somebody just repented. Angel party! And the angels are partying. And they're going on, they're rejoicing. You see that joy in heaven? And we as the community, 
is the body of Jesus Christ, we should embody that same joy. When somebody who was lost is found, we should have it in our own life, as Mike was talking about. Do you remember the joy of your salvation, who you were when the angels had a party for you? Recall that. Remember that. And then think about there's somebody lost, somebody broken, somebody hurting, somebody far from God who needs to know that same joy. And is that your driving joy in life? Some of you know that Amy and I did an adventure race yesterday. Uh, we just wanted to finish, Rob. Our goal was not to win, no. We just wanted to finish, which we did, more or less in one piece. And we finished the race, but one of the key learnings along the way, which was right at the very beginning, is we had to learn to read the compass, because you've got to orient your way around. And so the very first learning is, you've got to know where true north is all the time. Otherwise, you're lost, right? Otherwise, you can't find the next checkpoint. You can't find where you're going unless you line your compass up with north. And I bring that up because I say our compasses, as we live our lives, need to be lined up with the same priorities of Jesus. And those priorities of Jesus are that we love the lost and then we seek the lost and that our greatest joy, our true north that we're living for is when somebody lost is found. When the dead is brought to life, that's our true north. Does that drive you? Is that exciting for you? That that's what you're living for? Because I think the enemy can throw off our compass. I think the enemy can move our compass so that our true north is not the joy of seeing the lost be found, that I'm not living into seeking and saving the lost, but instead I'm living for popularity. I'm living for wealth. I'm living to be healthy and strong. I'm living for that next sexual activity. I'm living for lots of things that I think in this life bring me joy. But as we heard from Sherry this morning as well, those things, and Jesus said it, they're here today and gone tomorrow. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust can destroy. But seek first the kingdom of God. Set your true north towards the kingdom of God and aim it at the priority and purposes of Jesus, which is to seek and save the lost. And as those lost people are lost and found and brought into the kingdom of heaven, and there's an angel party going on, yeah! Those lives are eternal and will never be taken away. And what a legacy we can leave behind us that I lived here 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And people, because of me, because I gave my life to the priority and purposes of Jesus, and I loved people, and I spent time seeking lost people, I saw them step across the line of faith, and I could rejoice. And at the end of life, I may not have that big house. I may not have all that much in the bank account. I may never have made it to the chairman of the board. But there's a legacy of people who now are in heaven celebrating and they're with our God. That's our purposes that we need to live. And so friends, we want to help this church live into that. 
And so there is a campaign that we're, we're starting this fall, which is called Who's Your One? Who's your one? You'll find some cars out there like this. Who's your one? We're just asking, right? I can't reach the millions of people who are lost in the whole world. Can I reach one this year? Could you reach one? That's the point. Can I start praying for one lost person? Could I start seeking one lost person? Could I start investing in one lost person? Can I pray to the Holy Spirit that you create good soil so that I'll have the opportunity to share my faith with one lost person so that they can step across the line of faith and there is going to be a party in heaven for my family member, for my coworker, for my neighbor, for whoever God puts in your path. Who is your one? Can you think about that right now? Who is your one? I invite you to stop at the table in the back there. It says, who's your one? And pick up some resources. And what we're going to do is we're going to gather once a month at 11.30 a.m. on the first Sunday of the month. We're going to gather together with our commitment to join together to pray for our one. To hear how it's going. To encourage, to uplift one another. Because you know what the enemy doesn't want to do? Have us reach one. So we're going to get together. Who's your one? Let's live this out together. And I look forward to the day when we gather on Sunday morning and we come together and if we each reach one person, 250 more people fill in this place in the next year. Maybe 300 more filling this place in the next year. In the next year, 300 more if we reach the one. And sometimes we got to ask ourselves that tough question, right? Because I know in the history of this church, we're formed from Fairview Reformed Church, who, who is probably about 80-some years old now. And, and we got Bethany, who's over 100. Some of us have had those journeys together. And some of you have been at Orchard Hill for the last 17 years. And are we reaching the ones? Because I would think if we are, we'd see a little bit of growth in that area. And we'd be able to come together on those Sundays and lighting our candle week after week after week because we were out there seeking and loving and, and pursuing the lost and every Sunday morning because of Orchard Hill the angels in heaven are setting their clocks at 10 o'clock you know what guys we only got a few more, more moments to sing this holy 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 song only because it's going to be 10 o'clock at Orchard Hill you know what's going to happen at 10 o'clock at Orchard Hill? You know what's going to happen? Party. Angel party! Because more people have stepped across the line of faith. And friends, that's my prayer for Orchard Hill. Let's live into this story. Let's live in to who Jesus calls us to be. And let's be faithful ambassadors of Jesus living in this world today. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this story. We thank you that we are able to, to, to resonate in this and live in it in so many different ways. And so God, we just um, pray and ask that you would stir in our hearts right now. That you would help us to remember the joy of our salvation. Because each of us here was lost and then we were found. Each of us here was dead, but now we're alive because of you. And that's the only reason. So may you remind us of that joy in our life, God. 
Remind us of that joy. And may that inform the way that we live and the way that we act and the way that we worship. And then God, put it on our minds right now a one. One who is far from you. One who maybe we've walked by and said they are in the trash dump. They're covered with mud. And in this day, help us to see the value. Help us see the, the purpose and grip us from the depths of our stomach to reach out to them. Who is your one in this day? Who is your one? And God, may we be faithful as your people to seek them, to save them, just as you did each of us. May we be faithful in our call to be the church, the body, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the light in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 I just want to invite you, uh, if you've been stirred by this, and you will join us in this Who's Your One to stop and see Pastor Laura at the table out in the lobby uh, right there to the left and you can learn more about who's your one and and how to make sure that you're part of that community and gathering as we live this out faithfully remember today uh, to do your checklist and stop at the table back there because this is the end of the month so we'll be wrapping that up sign up for a group today make sure you uh, double check your information in the directory make sure you got a mailbox uh, and uh, there was one more thing oh make sure you're on the the app that we use uh, I said that already so let's just do all those things okay uh, that'll help us live together as a community. And also remember, after the service, we can pray together. We'll be here to support you in prayer and take the opportunity to make a new friend. Don't talk to somebody you know in the next five minutes. You have to find a brand new person. Five-minute rule. You got to talk to somebody brand new today, especially as our church family grows. Uh, I, it's been a great day to be in God's house, and now let us go from this place knowing who we are, right? We're children of God. And we know uh, that we have been redeemed. And we know that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we've been renewed and God calls us as righteous as his people. That's who we are. That is such a good message. And that hope is for the rest of the world. So let us go out into this world today being his ambassadors and sharing that good news as we go. And we'll see you next week. Have a beautiful day, everyone.